All right. All right. So why don't you um, cue up this uh, this question? This, and again, this wasn't one of our questions. This was submitted to us by an okay. elite patron um, or by a yeah. This was a uh, wh- which one here? The thought terminating uh, cliche. Oh, is that what you um, want to cover? No, we were. I would like to do that one on a main episode. Oh, okay, if, okay. If I you don't that's mind. A, yep, because I think that would be super useful yeah. for our audience, Good. large okay. or small. I think that would be helpful for people um, just to understand the rhetoric that is existing in the world today. Mm-hmm. Um, this one here, we were going to talk about. I kind of wanted to bring up the idea of modern day Quakers. Yeah, um, <laughs> and uh, we recently had a Bible Institute at our church. And, um, I, I honestly wish I had had the time to write my own curriculum for it. Um, mm-hmm. I just don't have the time for that. Yeah. That um, can be pretty intense sometimes. Yes. Um, but I really wanted to, and perhaps the next time we do something like that, I will mm-hmm. uh, hopefully have the time to, to write my own, but there are plenty of curriculums available that you can get. And one of the ones that we chose was. Uh, the history of the churches from a Baptist perspective by mm-hmm. David Cloud okay. uh, from way of way of life literature.org. We've talked about David Cloud before. Um, and uh, one of the things I had to preface with, with the curriculum, with the people is that there's oftentimes where he speaks about the fundamentalists, the fundamentalists, you know, and, and we've kind of not been a huge fan of that term. And in fact, I honestly am of the opinion that, that most Baptists today should reject the term. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and, and that's just because it's not, it's not enough. It's not enough. We're more than fundamental. Fundamentalism mm-hmm. is, is limiting doctrine too much. Mm-hmm. It's making the vast majority of the Bible unimportant mm-hmm. uh, for fellowship. So that's the only preface I had for it in teaching it. But we went through this curriculum. We didn't make it very far into it. We're going to have to do an, a second Bible Institute and probably several more to finish it. But I was kind of browsing ahead as as one does when you're going to teach a class. I was trying to make it through all of it uh, beforehand. And we got to the part about the Quakers and uh, early American history here. We're talking about people who migrated from Europe uh, to come here. Um, ultimately, they were Anglicans, if I can say that. I was going to say, was it tying Quakers into Baptists? No, no. I mean, obviously there would have been some who came out of that Mm -hmm. and and would have become Baptistic. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm very specific about saying that rather than saying they they were Baptists, they were Baptistic. In fact, most of the the groups that are covered throughout church history that we would call Baptists wouldn't have called themselves Baptists. Uh, a lot of times, yeah, uh, they, they, it wouldn't have been a term that they would have used. Um, but they were Baptistic and meaning that the stuff we as Baptists believe now would have correlated closely with what they believed then. We're just today we're called Baptists. Okay. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, the, 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 so to give you the short rundown of the history of it, mm-hmm. um, the Roman Catholic church was dominating everything. Right. And you have, um, Henry, King Henry, I think it was the eighth. Um, wanted to get divorced from his wife, Catherine of Aragorn, Aragon, Aragorn, um, wanted to divorce her because she was not able to have children, uh, or at least not a second child. They weren't able to conceive again. And I uh, wanted to divorce her. This wasn't useful to him as a monarch, but the Pope told him, no, 
the Pope would not give his blessing to this annulment. So he basically splits off from the Church of Rome, starts his own church, and declares himself the universal head of it <laughs> and all of his successors. And this is where the Church of England was born, the Anglican Church. Right. And theologically, it was no different from the Roman Catholic Church. It just didn't have a Pope. It just didn't have a Pope. Right. It had okay. the king. <clears throat> but they still believed in infant baptism. They still believed in Mariolatry, baptismal, or, or I'm sorry, transubstantiation, all of those wow. Catholic things. Uh, relic worship, praying to the saints, praying to the dead, and so on, purgatory. Now, they believed all of that. Can I, a side note here, isn't that the same as the Episcopal Church in the, in the United States, is the Anglican Church? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I would say yeah. so. And uh, additionally, uh, some of the early congregational churches in mm. New England were similar as mm. well. <clears throat> though they would take a more uh, more biblical stance in some instances. They were congregational. It was a mixed bag. Depending on where you went, they seemed very Anglican. Okay. Other places you went, a congregational church would have been a little more biblicist. Anyway, all that to say, with with King Henry splitting off from Rome, it was a convenient time for him to do so because uh, Lutheranism was on the rise. The Protestant Reformation had begun. Uh, people were beginning to separate from Rome. So while while some historians look at it and say, okay, Henry split off uh, and became a different religion, that isn't true. He remained the same religion and he split off from Rome for political reasons and for personal convenience reasons, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but he was still very Catholic. And the, the Protestant Reformation simply was a convenient out for him. So a lot of people tie the Anglican church with Protestantism when it really isn't. It's Catholic. Um, <clears throat> but with this sort of infighting now happening, because Henry's successors and family members, some were still loyal to Catholicism, some were Protestant. So the throne was changing hands repeatedly from Catholic leader to Protestant leader, Catholic mm -hmm. leader to Protestant leader. Depending on who was in charge, <clears throat> um, Puritans, who were Anglicans primarily, they would have been either half persecuted or half not, depending on who was in charge. So they decided to to you know jump ship. <laughs> now Puritans were Puritans were Anglican, you say, or were they more reformed, like um, sort of Presbyterian? I mean, were they Anglican? Uh, Pur Pur Puritans were primarily Anglican. Uh, mm. Pilgrims tend to be more reformed and Calvinistic. Hmm. Um, Whereas, at least from what I've read, the the Puritans uh, were were very much Anglicans, hmm. and they came to America, and it was primarily the Puritans that continued the spirit of persecution against Bible believing Christians. Hmm. That's what Rome had always done; they persecuted dissenters. That's what King Henry would do; he persecuted dissenters, and the Anglican Church became no different, just in name, but they hmm. still persecuted dissenters, and. <clears throat> The Puritans come here and and they do the same thing. When whenever someone disagreed with them or had a, a religious meeting separate from the church, uh, you know, they would get persecuted, right? Um all that to say, um, and I kind of forget where I was going with that for the moment. Where was I circling around to? Oh, the Quakers. Mm -hmm. The Quakers, yeah. So the Puritans kind of eventually gave rise to some of the Quakers, um, sort of in Pennsylvania mm -hmm. area, if I'm getting my history right. Um and and the Quakers were not exactly what you would consider orthodox either. They were all about religious experiences. And the reason they were called Quakers was because they would have these prophetic moments 
where they would start to to go into this trance and they would start to speak revelatory things, so they thought, and they mm. would quake and shake while they did it, like they were in some sort of convulsive state. Mm. And that's how they became called Quakers. But they were very much responsible for sort of this notion that it wasn't a true spiritual experience unless it was like like some notable mystical thing. Hmm. Right. It had you had to, you had to have a religious experience. You couldn't just believe the scriptures. You had to have the religious experience. Right. Wow. Yeah. And all of it, of course, like I say, you know, and the reason I went through the whole history here is to kind of bring the roots of this back to where it started in Europe with Catholicism that really emphasized sort of the mystical side of things. Hmm. I see. Right. And, and all of this just more kind so of like into the everyday personal experience, bringing the mystical down to a personal level. Right. Yep. They brought the mystical because, I mean, they would have rejected relic worship. Hmm. They would have rejected uh, praying to the dead hmm. uh, and so on. So it's like without the Catholic things, the Catholic mystical things to really rely on. You have to kind of create your own mystical experience. And they would do this in the form of of seeing angelic works in almost everything mm, mm, you know mm. like uh like like everything became you know a work of the lord a work of the lord. everything was just like a spiritual experience and and if they weren't having those then they weren't legitimate they, they wouldn't have viewed themselves as legitimate and it dawned on me recently that this mentality still exists mm. And not just the the quaking thing. I mean, we we still see things like that in apostolic churches and the Pentecostal churches, charismatic places where people will go into these trances and convulse. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a simple example that I heard just a few weeks ago. Um, someone was telling me how, you know, a friend of theirs was in a building that was burning down and they caught fire and they passed out and they woke up outside. And an angel had carried them out. That was the only logical conclusion to them was that an angel must have carried them out. Right, right. And my response was, huh, that's strange, <laughs> right? And, 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 and what she said to me was very telling. She said, oh, I think there are all sorts of things happening like that all the time that most people would just call strange, but really it's just angels working and doing things. And it's like, this hmm, seems wow. to be... You know, and, and you know, another example, somebody, you know, has a close call in their car and it has to be an angel stepped in and, and, and protected me. And it's like, do I doubt that those things happen? No, no, <laughs> no I don't doubt that that happens. But it's like, I, I realize that the Lord is a providential God and his angels are ministering spirits mm -hmm. sent forth yeah. to, to, to minister to us. I realize that. But I don't think we are meant as Christians to overly emphasize the ministry of angels. They're servants. They're ministers of the Lord. Mm. And, and I think people really today still have to have these mystical experiences. Um, there's a whole movement of Christians kind of around us in our area where they're just all about the mysticism of experiences. Mm. Uh, they, don't, they don't quake. They don't prophesy. But everything has to be an over-saved, over-spiritualized, hyped-up experience to where if you don't have a, a story that is equally as compelling as theirs to fire back with, you're just viewed as someone who's not really on fire for the Lord. Um, and I hate that phrase, but you know <laughs> that's that's what they often will say. Uh, that phrase on fire for the Lord. You can immediately so see it's, the danger of of having to have some sort of experience to be perceived as spiritual. 
Right. You know, it's like, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. So all that to say, I think this mysticism thing in some sense would have been the natural outgrowth of sinners trying to to do anything religious, right? The mysticism would always have played a part. There was mysticism all the way back in the first century. But my point with it is that it still persists. Yeah, it wasn't something a lot of, of a few hundred years ago. It Right. And it persists even in some Baptist churches, in Baptist circles, and they promote it with these this storytelling thing that happens. And then someone else has to, you know, they'll feel left out. So that now they have to tell a true story, but they've got to put a mystical spin on it uh, to, you know, the, in order to keep up with the Joneses. Um, so it still persists, but I think the, the modern version of it that is void of the relic worship and praying to the dead and all the other mysticism of Catholicism, the modern version of Baptist mysticism, I think that can be traced back to the Quakers. Hmm. Well, At least in some degree. Yeah. To some degree, I was going to say, honestly, how much of that is somewhat human just for the- what? Yeah, that's that's what I said. Is that it would have been the natural outgrowth okay. of sinners trying to do religious things. It always has been, but I think the modern portrayal of it that we see this mystical storytelling sort of thing. I, the earliest example I see of this in North America seems to have been the Quakers. Hmm. Yeah. So now, what would be the balance between, um, like you said, do we believe that the angels are ministering spirits that the Lord is working? Well, certainly, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And yet, do we have anything? And I and I hate to say it because I, I the 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 idea of sort of empirical evidence for everything is sort of frustrating sometimes, um, mm-hmm. you know because no maybe somebody hasn't done a peer reviewed study on it but it's not necessarily less true, um, but so we don't have say evidence that this was angelic you know per se uh, this particular occasion and yet we want to acknowledge that well the Lord you know. We want to acknowledge it as a blessing uh, to mm-hmm. say, you know, the Lord, the Lord provided this money for me, or the Lord uh, was watching over me today, and I, I right. nearly had a car accident, and yet to say, oh, an angel yeah. stepped in and and delivered me from right. The, so I mean, what's so the you're, balance? You're, I don't. You're, <laughs> yeah, I guess you're asking the question: How involved are angels in the everyday things well, of our lives? How can we express it? Because we don't really know. Right. Like, you know, I mean, if if I'm walking through the parking lot to my car and I drop my keys and they fall an inch to the left of the gutter, so they almost would have gone in. <laughs> yeah. Did an angel bump it? Did the did did the wind blow just at the right moment? You know, I mean, is it possible that, that in God's providential universe that he ordained it in such a way that the wind would blow. I don't know how much wind would have an effect on keys falling from three feet off the ground. I mean, like, like a strong if, if, yeah, you got bigger problems than losing your keys in that moment. But you know, do I acknowledge that there's providence in the universe? Yes, I do acknowledge that. But does that mean that angels are involved in every little thing? If I drop my pen off the desk right now, yeah, that's inconvenient for me. But you know, just because it didn't roll across the room too, does that mean an angel put his foot down and kept it from rolling away? Uh, no, I don't right. think it's so. Just, I think some things just happen the way they happen. Right. That it's and it's not saying that. God is any less sovereign or providential. Just to say that right. maybe there's actually another explanation for this particular thing. Um, that, right. You know, the laws of physics, you know, meant that when this tire came flying across the road, it missed me just because that's the way it bounced. You know, that's the way it was made. Right. And, uh, 
Yeah, and and it's inconsistent to suggest that anytime something that happens for your personal convenience or comfort or safety, that an angel got involved. But then when bad things happen, well, what happened then? Was the angel asleep? Was he lazy? Well, or maybe, maybe, maybe someone lost their trailer tire and the angel bounced it into the front window of your car, causing an accident. You know, maybe that was in God's sovereign plan for you. So there's not even a look to the other half of this sovereignty equation when people are into mm. this mysticism stuff. Do they? Uh, have you heard this? I mean, since you're saying there's kind of a contingency of that in 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 your area, have you heard the opposite in the sense that when something bad happens, it's attributed to Satan? Like, uh, obviously I'm under attack and Satan's trying to, Mm -hmm. uh, withhold, like sometimes we, we see that. And, and again, that's one of those where to go, well, I don't know for sure. You know, when somebody says, ah, we were trying to do this for the Lord and we were being resisted. I could tell from the moment we started, you know, that we kept running into all these, uh, all these problems and obviously Satan's against what we're doing. Well, yeah, could be, um, on the other hand, it just could be. You know, I don't know. You could look at it the other way and say, God's trying to stop you from doing what you think is a good idea. And it's not, I mean, you know, how do you right. know which way to look at it? So do they, do they see right. it as a work of Satan then when it, things go wrong? Yeah. Oftentimes they do. Satan was resisting me. Satan was fighting what I was doing. And mm. oftentimes it comes from the naive view that everything they're doing is important. Um, mm. <laughs> that everything they're doing, they're doing for the Lord when oftentimes they're not. And, and all of a sudden they feel resisted and then they conclude that what they must have been doing must have been what God wanted them to be doing. Oh, wow. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? So do you see the reversal there where I must have been in God's will because I got resisted. Um, Something bad happened. That's a Therefore, problem what too. I was doing was good. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah. That yeah. Could be there's very there's a lot right of. There. Oh, sure. A lot of faulty conclusions you can come to if you overemphasize the. <sighs> how do I say it? Mysticism is the only word that comes to my mind, but the spiritual realm would maybe be equally uh, apropos because when you put too much emphasis on the spiritual realm, you have, you can, it sometimes have your mind completely misconstrue things. Yeah. And, and boy, that, that's, uh, I think that this conversation could be developed further just to say, wow, that in some ways, um, you know, the, our perception of life should be simpler. Um, Mm -hmm. that, you know, you, God, God does reveal himself. And as we do know him, we recognize, okay, he is a certain way. He wants us to do certain things. Right. But you just follow, you you follow that and you live, if I can put it, a normal life without the need for urgings and tuggings and, 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 and revelations and epiphanies <laughs> to just, just do what's right. Just do right. Um, and, yes. and keep moving forward and, and doing, you know, uh, obeying your conscience. And yes, there is some way that we feel like, okay, if I can grieve the Holy spirit, I probably feel that, uh, there mm-hmm. is some sort of a feeling associated maybe with my grieving of the Holy spirit or of me even acknowledging that I believe that I'm pleasing the Lord, you know, that there's a peace yeah. with that. And yet to tie everything to feeling and a need for, I just felt compelled to, and I feel like the Lord yeah. wants me to, and God told me to, and you know, I don't, we have to be careful with that, that how much of that is actually sure. based on the written revelation of God. Um, it's interesting. Well, I mean, speaking of the written revelation of God, that to me is the most telling reason why we should not overemphasize <clears throat> the spiritual realm, if I can say it that way, mm-hmm. is because most everything we know about angels is is inferred from scripture 
mm. not explicitly taught. Like there's a passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul explicitly exposits on the resurrection. <clears throat> you know, there's passages in the book of Romans that explicitly exposit, uh, exposit on soteriology. Um, there's passages in the book of John that explicitly exposit on the Holy Spirit's ministry himself. But where is the chapter, and, and I'm willing to, to hear to hear answers on this, where is the chapter or book or, or passages that explicitly exposit on the doctrine of angels? Mm -hmm. um, now there are mentions of them, sure, but that's sure. what I say. They're I mean, often they not the focus of the passage. They're simply part of the passage and we infer what we know about angels from those inferences. And that's how we develop our doctrine of angelology. But the scriptures don't seem to give it they don't make it the lead, right, of the story. Right. They don't make angels the lead of the story. In a, in a similar way, and this is not meant to equate angels with the Holy Spirit. Obviously, the Holy Spirit is God and right. so far higher than the angels, you know, in, in a creator to creation capacity. Um, but in a similar way, even we read even of the Holy Spirit that his role was to essentially magnify Christ. So testify to, of me, Jesus said. Yes. So to so to super exalt the Holy Spirit and to put the the spotlight on Him, we even question whether that's you know I don't think that's even really what the Lord would want because you know Christ was the, yeah. the focal point, and so I think we could acknowledge that uh, our our angelic spirits uh, is there a war going on? Well, yes, we know there is. Um, mm -hmm. are they doing something? Yes. Are they powerful? Yes. Do they resist the work of God? As we see in Daniel, where the Prince of Persia, you know, withstood Michael, the archangel. Well, yeah, yes. I mean, so all these things can be true and yet truly being able to delineate these in our lives and our day-to-day -day lives may be very difficult. And so it, it could just be sufficient to say, God, I don't know what's going on in the spiritual realm, but I, I am resting in the work of, you know, of Christ and I'm, and I'm acknowledging the power of the Holy Spirit, and I'm looking to right. you as my supplier to just lead me through this day sure. and to give me wisdom and to protect me from whatever may be going on. Just give me understanding of what I'm supposed to do. Right. And, and, and emphasizing either the Holy Spirit overly or the spiritual realm of angels overly, it is, in a sense, for people who love making unfalsifiable claims. <laughs> so, you, you know. Yeah, right. You can't prove or disprove the claim. So like the instance of the person who said their friend was in the burning building and an angel carried them out uh, and, you know, the Lord must have been protecting them for some reason. Um, I mean, I could just as equally argue that the Lord spared their life because they were doing the wrong thing and this was a wake up call. Right. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Sure. Whereas they would argue the Lord spared their life because they were doing everything right. Right. So you see, mm, you can make, yes, that's and, and see, you know, it's, it's right. And it's the good old Hanlon's razor that which can be asserted without evidence can be dismissed without evidence. Right. Mm. Um, if you can assert without evidence that the angel saved this person because they were, you know, one of God's heroes and they needed to be rescued, I could equally assert, no, God was giving them a wake up call because they were preaching a false gospel. Mm. You know what I mean? And, and both of us could be right. <laughs> You know, <clears throat> so either one could be right. Um, what was you? What did you call that? Handlin's razor. Handlin, H A N L O N. H A N L O N. I'll have to look that up. 
It's yeah. good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, interesting there. Um, because certainly there is a, um, uh, a component of that in Christianity too, and, and, and in, and did different people and in different places to a, a, a greater or lesser degree. And they may not necessarily be the direct descendants of the Quakers in their theology. It's just that as, right, as right. believers, we, we sometimes maybe wonder what, you know, how do I interpret what's going on in my life? And is there a spiritual import here that I should be aware of that I'm not? Um, so do you feel like a book, say, um, uh, Peretti's book, um, oh, what is the book called? You know, you know what book I'm talking about? Frank Peretti and talking about the demonic warfare. And um, I know the name. I think present, I read one of his books darkness. when I was a kid. This Present Darkness. Now, I've never read it, but I, what I understand, it's kind of a story about, and maybe a novel about, um, you know, essentially uh, spiritual warfare and being aware of that. Um, that might draw into question the real value of that book. I mean, obviously, there is a spiritual warfare, Ephesians chapter number six. And I'm not, I'm not totally uh, trying to uh, shame Peretti because I've heard him speak on another issue of, of, uh, of truth being you know, objective and planted or whatever and did a really nice job. But as far as uh, related to that book, um, I'm sure it really like, yeah. oh, that, oh yeah, there's spiritual things going around on around me. All the all the, all the you know, I haven't been aware of this, and and things are happening right. all over the place. Well, okay, well, maybe they are, but the, still, it goes back to the question of how do I know and what can right. I really attribute to it with, with any confidence? Yeah, and my issue with the whole one of my issues with the whole spiritual warfare push or movement, if you want to call it a movement, yes, is that it really completely ignores the problem of the human's flesh. Oh, yes. Right. I totally agree. Because there's just, I mean, you know what? If if I were a demon, (laughs) never I thought (laughs) I'd begin a sentence that way. If I were a demon and you were a Christian who had strong flesh, I'm not going to bother you. You're self-destructing on your own. You've right, got yeah, flesh. Right, yeah, you're doing a good enough job. <laughs> right, you're doing a good enough job. You have all of the faculties required in your flesh to completely undermine your Christian efforts and your Christian growth. Um, good way to put it. I- I'm going to leave you alone, right? I-, I have bigger fish to fry. I'm going to go after the people who don't have strong flesh. They've conquered many aspects of their flesh and they're walking with God. Those are the people I'm going to try and trip up. Um, but... Uh, but yeah, that, that's one of the issues I find with the whole spiritual warfare movement oh, yeah. is that I, it makes every little temptation, every little fleshly inkling throughout the day, uh, you know, Satan's attacking you. Satan could care less about you. He's got bigger fish to fry than you. And same thing with most demons. You've got flesh. Oh, that's that's so true. You know, so to attribute, you know, gluttony and jealousy and greed to, to demons is to really overlook who you are. Uh, in your inherent right. sinfulness. Um, yeah. Now, side, it's almost side, arrogant. Side, yeah. Side note here, um, before we have to, uh, get going, you mentioned, uh, demons. It's interesting. We talk about, uh, again, that's kind of our perception that, uh, they're going to focus on the really spiritual people. It's interesting. You think about the, um, demoniac, uh, of Gadara, mm-hmm. um, and how he had a legion of demons in him. You wonder, you wonder at what point, um, do demons just love agony, misery, and destruction. Um, because the maniac of Gadara, obviously, prior to that, had not been a saved man. Um, and now he's being inhabited what, with what, and I don't know that legion has to be taken um, literally in the sense because he simply says, uh, 
what is my name is Legion for we are many. Um, does he mean we we're named Legion because we're an exact number of the Roman Legion who, you know, I mean, is there 6,000 demons? <laughs> I don't know. But I think, I think it's, you know, an assumption, anyway, a decent assumption to say, well, there were 2000 swine. And when he cast the demons out, they went into the 2000 swine. There might've been 2000 demons. Um, but nonetheless, to say there's a lot of demons there uh, and they're just wrecking the man's life. I mean, to, I, it, I, it's really beyond comprehension for me to understand um, the mindset and the darkness and the, um, and, and the torment that this man felt while living, um, that mm -hmm. he's wandering through the graves, he's crying out, he's cutting himself, uh, truly a dark and, and, and sorrowful picture. And to think, why were they going after that man? You know, um, they're just, they're inhabiting this guy and just, just, he's just miserable, you know? And they're tormenting yeah, well, him for what? Because he's some spiritual giant? No, just because I think they just like no. what they do, you know? Well, and ultimately for the glory of God in casting them out of the man. Well, um, they didn't know that. <laughs> no, well, it's, hard, it's we don't know what they know, but, uh, you know, I, I mean, at, at a certain point, you know, they were inhabiting this man so that Jesus could cast them out and and be glorified and, and validated in what he was doing. Um, you know, all part of, you know, God's purposes, I, I guess. I mean, God certainly used that, right? But to say, you know, why why were they doing it? When we say, you know, they're going to attack people that are spiritual. Well, I don't know. I think they're just going to attack. Sometimes just they just they just want to make people miserable. They want to they cause the most havoc, I suppose, uh, possible. You yeah, know? I mean, it depends on how, how, how you view demonic autonomy, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Whoa. That's another, that's another subset. Of yeah. this, that's good. So anyway, we probably won't want to yeah. dive into that, but, uh, no, no too long. So anyway, uh, modern day Quakerism. Thank you for bringing it up. Bringing yeah, it up. Sure. Yeah. You know, I'm having a thought here. Um, this, this was a fun after show, um, and I'm wondering if maybe – it's been a while since we have thrown a bone to our non-patron listeners mm -hmm. with a free after show, and sometimes it's, it's necessary to do that to maybe kind of show people what they're – you know, missing out on, <laughs> you know, and, and maybe yeah. drum up some interest in, uh, in further patrons. So, um, what do you think about offering this one for free? I'm not opposed to it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cause it was a fun discussion and, and we covered a lot. Like I'm looking at my notes here. I've got all sorts of links and subjects that, <laughs> that we covered here. Everything from, you know, demonic, demoniac of Gadara to my pronouns.org to, you know, the history of the Quakers and the English Reformation. Yeah, I got all sorts of things here that I think uh, would be of value to okay. listeners and perhaps drum up some interest. Okay. All right. Um, well, elite patrons, if you have thoughts on this, um, you know, you'll be the first, you may be the first to hear it. Yeah, yeah, you get it a day, a day ahead, right, of anybody else? Well, you usually get it. I forget, uh, yeah. Uh, at, you get it period but yeah. anyway uh give us your thoughts uh if if you have uh, any of these something maybe we haven't thought of or just uh obviously the d discussion could go much further in other directions but uh if you have something you want to mention or or just a different question let us know reason together podcast at gmail.com and uh, thanks again for all that you do yes thank you we'll see you on the next one mm -hmm.